I'd like, you know, just to talk to you and tell you a short story, if that's all right. Because Christmas, we talk about the Christmas story, don't we? And we've seen, you know, bits of the nativity and we've sang the Beth- Bethlehemian Rhapsody. And, you know, there is, Christmas is all about a story. And I'm just going to tell you a little story. And it's a true one, too. Um, I know it's true because um, I'm not wanting to seem like uh, bigging myself up, but it's about me. Um, <laughs> So I know it's true, because it really happened. And uh, it begins, and I'm sat at a dinner table in North Yorkshire with three colleagues and a group of uh, 17 and 18-year-old students, because I'm a teacher. And um, I'm staring rather sadly at a piece of paper, because the, police, the piece of paper has three activities on it. And these three activities have got to be done the following day with these groups of students. And one member of staff is going to have to lead on each activity. One says canoeing, which sounds quite cool. One says kayaking, which sounds great. And one says potholing. Um, hmm. And so we, we looked and uh, one, two spoke of like fun and like laughter and in, playing about on the water. And one just spoke of cold, dark death. Um, and, uh, and I did what any man of God does. I prayed that the other two members of staff, one of them would get potholing. Um, and of course they didn't. And, um, and uh, it was one of them, they said, I really don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. So I did what, the, as I was the senior member of staff, I had to do. Which was go, well, I'll do it. And um, it just seemed the right thing. And I admit to feeling a bit frustrated, a bit forced and pushed into it. And I thought, I'm a mature individual. And surely, surely, I don't have to do anything I don't like or enjoy. Why should I do it? And then I realized what an immature emotion, uh, idea of maturity that was. And I, um, I stopped moping around like the teenage boy who's just been spoken to about his personal hygiene. And I pulled myself together and I thought, right, I just need to get on with it. And can I borrow you, Isaac? Is that all right for a moment? Because I thought, right, just get on with it. So I went to collect my equipment. And I, um, you'll just need to pop your shoes off. Is that all right, Isaac? Okay, so I went to the equipment store and I was given a pair of wellies. Okay, excellent. Okay, go on, pop them on. I was given a pair of wellies. What else was I given? I was given a helmet. Okay, here we go. Good lad. I was given a, a caving suit, okay, which is just like putting on a duvet, really. Uh, so I was given a caving suit. I was provided with a head torch. There we go. Oh, this is going to be challenging. This is where you wish you'd rehearsed. Okay, there we go. I was given a head torch. It might fly off and smash something, but we'll be right. Okay. And then a wetsuit. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced a wetsuit before. Um, they're just an instrument of torture, really. So, uh, so I was giving it and I, I like poured myself into it. It was like... And then, and then you get the legs on and then because the zip's here, you've got to put your arms and then, then you're just stuck whilst you try to force your way in. But I, I managed to pop myself into it and then I had to go and uh, approach a very crestfallen uh, looking young man who was in my team and say, and it took a lot of humility, 
Could you zip me up? <laughs> so he, he stood as far away as possible and zipped me up. And I'll tell you, it's uh, wetsuits, they're not flattering. It was like a bag of grapefruit in a deflated balloon. But it was uh, shoved in and pushed and squeezed in, and I was there. So then we travelled to the cave, sweating profusely, feeling hot, feeling hot. There we go, all right. Oh, you know, and everyone was slowly muttering, oh, this is the one I didn't want. I didn't want to do this one, and there was this feeling of impending doom. But we get there, and we scramble down into the cave, do some scrap. Oh, look at that. Impro. We, we scramble down and, and we slip into our first flooded channel. And as the icy water fills up, I realised I could sing Walking in the Air now. And, um, <laughs> and we began what Tolkien would call the journey into the roots of the mountain. So we headed down deeper and deeper and deeper through flooded channel like John Wayne in a wet nappy. And we were... <laughs> And we moved through, and we went through cavern after cavern, and some the roof was so low and the water so high, it was literally a head as you crawled through. Come on, Isaac, <laughs> stick with me. You're leaving me hanging here, son. There we go. And we went through. Oh. And then we hit a point, and it seemed like a dead end, and we were out the water, and uh, the guide said, right, I want you all just to turn off your head torches. And it just went completely black. And seriously, it sounds stupid, but I've never known blackness like it. It was just oppressive. It was tangible. It just absolutely engulfed you. And every sound, every shortened breath, and there were lots of shortened breaths, <laughs> were amplified and fear grew and fear developed. And we were told, right, we stood there and we got cold. We shivered a bit. Excellent. <laughs> And the next task was, right, at the end of this cavern, there's a, there's, a, there's a hole. And it is a metre wide and about half a metre high. And in blackness, you have to find it. And every member of the group, 15 of us, you've got to find the opening and crawl in to a tunnel that had the same dimensions. So, <laughs> one by one. We crawled blindly round. We found the tunnel and we laid there still. There we go. And we crawled in and we were there. Good lad. You're glad you volunteered, are you? And you know, we, we scrambled and we scuffled and we laughed and we cried a little bit. And um, we got there. And then they said, right, you can turn the light back on. Just like that. So we turned the light back on, and then we said, right, next task. If you want, you've gone into this dark place, you got there, but you can, if you want, choose to go through. You can carry on. Only one school group has ever done this before. But if you want, you can go. It's only 50 metres, but it's going to take you about an hour. So, again, I did what the man of God does. 
I thought, there's got to be one student in this group who doesn't want to do this, and somebody's got to stay and look after him. <laughs> but no! They wouldn't do that for me, would they? Let's all do it. We could do this together, team. <sighs> so, on our stomachs, we had to lie on our bellies the whole way. Oh. No elbow room, you couldn't get your legs, you just had to push your way through flooded sections, through thick mud, through this tiny passage that kept closing and opening a bit. And we just had to squeeze our way through. And as we set off, I had one student behind me who I discovered has quite a loud pitch screen. <laughs> a student in front of me who I later discovered suffers from anxiety and panic attacks. <laughs> and we carried our own little journey, and the rest of the group, their head torches disappeared off, and darkness was in front of my little group of three. So pushing ourselves along just with the toes of our wellies, like a constipated caterpillar, <laughs> we inched, and at one point, the student in front of me just stopped. She just laid and put a face on the rock. <laughs> and that was it. And I could feel the panic five minutes. She laid there. Panicked, and the panic of the student behind me built and built and built. And I did what any responsible adult does. I got hold of the soles of the boots of the student in front of me. And I just shoved. <laughs> it was just like grating a massive block of cheese. <laughs> but momentum kick-started, and I didn't get the sack. <laughs> Do you know, and we made it. We made it. We made it. Yay! Thank you, Isaac. Go sit back down for me. <laughs> Take it with you. I'll grab it off you later. Do you know, and we were battered, and we were bruised, and we were cut, and we were bleeding, and we were covered in mud, and we were freezing, and we were really unsure why we were there. Um, but we got to the end, and as we moved our way out of the cave, we got to the surface, and the temperatures rose, feeling returned. Daylight began to light our way, not just a torch through darkness. And finally, five hours later, we emerged from the cave and into just the most beautiful green valley I've ever seen. And actually, do you know, it was the same green valley we'd gone into. But it looked different. And I've got to say, the destination was amazing because I was just assaulted by such beauty. I have never seen a, a, a valley appear so green, so lush. The, the air was just heavy with fragrance, because nothing smells in the cave. Everything, every sense was shut down. And when we stepped out into light, it was just beautiful. And it was mind-blowing. And it was such a stark contrast to what had gone before, and it was just wonderful beauty and untamed promise. And why do I tell you it in relation to Christmas? Well, I think the Christmas story... I love Christmas Eve. 
of all the anticipation and the excitement. But the reality is, of Christmas Eve, we, we've had shepherds, and the Bible tells us they were terrified on the hillsides as the angels appeared before them. We've got wise men traveling mile after mile after mile after mile on camel. On camel. It was not a pleasant experience. And then Mary and Joseph, heavily pregnant, forced to make a journey on a donkey, late into the night, discovering that when they get to the destination, there's no place for them, that it's dark, that it's cold, and they end up in a stable surrounded by animals. And actually, I think it was probably anything but a silent light, night. And in fact, I'm fairly sure Jesus entered the world through fear, in darkness, through pain. But I'm also fairly sure that after Jesus had been born, the scene the wise men saw was a scene of beauty and of brightness and of joy and of peace and of untamed possibility. And that possibility leads us to the end of the story, 33 years later at Easter, because Jesus endures his own journey, his own journey into and through darkness, his own journey that despite unpleasantness, and it tells us he was anguished to make it, he knew it was the necessary thing to do, and his journey led to a cross and to a tomb, but then it also led to life. As Jesus rose again three days after his crucifixion, and there was a revelation of life to the world, a revelation of life that was amazing in colour, beautiful in fragrance, a life eternal. And it was the birth of another possibility, the possibility of eternal life and redemption for us. And I think Jesus' birth, his death, his resurrection are more than a story, they're an opportunity. They're a possibility. An opportunity where a Father God says to us, all the dirt, all the scratches, all the fear, all the darkness, all the just the rubbish that surrounds you and prevents you seeing what's true and what's right. I want to take that away. I want to reveal life to you. I want to reveal beauty to you. I want to show you the possibilities of eternal life. God wants you to have hope, not fear. He wants you to have warmth, not cold. He wants you to have light, not dark. To not be weighed down by all the rubbish but to be set free by his grace, by his love. And Jesus' death on the cross does all that. His sacrifice, which started with his birth at, um, on Christmas and ends with his death at Easter, was there to take away all the wrong stuff, take away all the sins, and to bring us back to him that we could know life. 